Welcome to All Things Apostolic. Brand new week and a great time we're going to have. We just completed, I believe, the greatest No Limits, the conference that we have ever had. Now, we've probably said that on other years, but this year it's really true. Uh, the preaching was uh, just stellar. The anointing of the Spirit in the services was outstanding. And many, many supernatural events took place in which people's lives were transformed. And uh, a lot of other good things going on. Um, near a half million dollars in missions and, and so forth, just in, just in an offering. And so uh, we're really excited about it. We're in the afterglow of it a little bit. But today we want to talk about some really important things that are going on um, in the world of, of uh, God's people and the things that have to do with spirituality and uh, with sound doctrine and all the above. I'm very happy to have with me today um, Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks, uh, who pastors a thriving church in Coleman, Alabama. We are uh, excited about that. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. One of the things that we have been discussing is uh, some of the broad um, studies that goes with Scripture. I mean, you know, there are very specific and narrowly defined subjects that are very, very important in the Bible, like you must be born again. That's pretty specific right. and narrowly defined. But, uh, but then <clears throat> there's also the whole corpus of Scripture that you, you look at and you see there uh, a, a divine design. You see there a plan for the ages. And I've often said that when we look at the Word of the Lord, we oftentimes... Uh, don't recognize that it's the only book in the world that gives a purpose for human history and a plan for human history. So uh, when, you, when you're looking at it that way and the universality of its reach and how it connects the uh, uh, eternal past with the eternal future, how it connects, the, how it's the ladder that Jacob saw uh, where on heavenly beings are are having concourse with earth and that they evidently are carrying on business and which which superimposes upon earth uh, an importance that we otherwise wouldn't have, that heaven is actually interested in what's going on and heavenly beings, right? So we're we're looking at uh, we're looking at, at big things. So when we do this, um, uh, Pastor Wilbanks, it makes us recognize that um, <clears throat> If the Bible has a big plan, how do you how do you put that under some kind of umbrella so it can be articulated, so we can describe it? Well, we know that that some of the things are two major things have been uh, for years is is biblical covenants that God made a succession of progressive covenants with uh, with different people uh, and different individuals as well. Uh, and in those covenants, there was promises, if you do this, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, oftentimes, now there's many covenants that God made in the Bible. But the primary covenants uh, kind of encompass a, a little a historical uh, view of what's going on in the Bible. And there's seven, some people, eight 
covenant, eight of those major covenants. The other thing has been um, looking at what came to be called uh, late in the church age, like even the 1800s, it came to be called dispensations. However, the word is used in the Bible, and it was used in the same sense that it was used later mm -hmm. uh, of the day that we live in. So it's not like a made-up word or uh, a word that somebody decided to just put on a sticker and say this is what we call dispensation. Anyway, uh, there's been a lot of controversy, uh, uh, Pastor, about dispensations in the last few years and their role. There was a period of time in which people, even people that didn't even believe in dispensations, acknowledged that much of the Christian world learned much about the Bible by virtue of the fact of, um, of the teaching of ages and dispensations. So uh, first, I guess we ought to talk about in a little bit here uh, what they are and and what they mean um, and why they're important. Uh, but is there anything that we need to talk about before we actually get to that? Now, that's the question I'm going to ask. Pastor uh, Jeremy Wilbanks uh, is finishing his PhD, very close to uh, having it done. He probably feels like coming through the tribulation. Right before the Lord comes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and it's in theology, and it is from uh, AGTS, a theological seminary in Mid-America, and a, and, a, and a great place, one of the largest seminaries in the world. Yep. And so um, <clears throat> we're going to discuss this a little bit today. So maybe we start out before we actually talk about this. Is there any kind of premises or anything that we need to discuss before we actually discuss what we want to discuss? It's like Tommy Kraft used to say. He used to say, the problem with this new generation is before you can tell them anything, you've got to tell them so much. That's right. So, you know, um, so that's kind of the way we all are in some sense. So, um, so what would, uh, anything you want to talk about, but it, can we just start talking about uh, these edges dispensations or is there a precedent, a precedent that we need to talk about first? Yes. So there are some foundational things. Uh, let's just assume somebody just sits down with the Bible, having no uh, no formal education uh, in terms of how to break Scripture down uh, doctrinally or how to break it down in any measure other than Old Testament, New Testament. They just sit down and they read it. There are at least four things that I would say that an apostolic child of God seeking to understand Scripture, at least four things that they need to hold dear and that their hermeneutic or way of breaking Scripture down, we'll just we'll, we'll define hermeneutic that way. Their way of breaking Scripture down needs to value and hold as non-negotiable at least these four things. So wait, a hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. A hermeneutic is a way of breaking Scripture down, or a way of mm -hmm. or, or rules to uh, interpret Scripture. Correct. Her hermeneutics, uh, it comes from the Greek word that means to interpret. Okay. And that's the way we break Scripture down and understand it, how this links with this, how, and then how it fits into the larger context of Scripture. So there is a pattern yes. that is an acceptable pattern, and if you didn't follow it, you could make the Bible say anything. Correct. Got it. Okay. So the first thing that I would say, and this may sound like a very basic thing, but the first thing that I would say that someone needs 
to value as non-negotiable is number one, uh, it's your approach to scripture. Uh, number one, we believe that it's the word of God. We actually believe that God said this. Uh, not just, he, it didn't just give the thoughts and the concepts to men and they wrote it in their own words. God actually said this. And that's pretty basic. Um, you believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Uh, that is the basis for all of your interpretation. So the next step moving beyond that, uh, and this there's a bunch that we're jumping, but just for the sake of time, you have to value a literal reading of Scripture. Literal as, a, as opposed to, first, a symbolic reading. Um, we understand that there's symbolism. We understand, well, there's parables. Jesus uses parables, so there's symbolic language there. The, a massive portion of uh, prophecy, a, a good portion of the book of Revelation, uh, for example, is filled with symbolism. But the first, so we understand there's symbolism there. The first way you read Scripture, you read Scripture as literally as it can be read until it can't be read literally, until it's obviously symbolic language. Um, we, the foundation of our interpretation has to be um, what we call, what the theological world would call the grammatical, historical method of reading Scripture. By grammatical we mean what did the words mean, and by historical we mean to the people that heard it first. And what that, did the words mean to the people that heard it first? Correct. The assumption is that the author of Scripture, God. Uh, by the way, some people say that this is that the Bible is dual authored. I don't believe that. I call that author and writer. Um, what we mean when we say that you read Scripture uh, literally, you are looking for the author's intent. When we say grammatical, historical, and we combine it with what we mean with when we say authorial intent, what did the author mean to the first people that heard it initially? Any further interpretation cannot violate or stretch out of shape what he meant to the first people that heard it initially. Um, beyond that, so, uh, so... So what you're saying, I like it, but what you're saying is, is that there is further use of Scripture. For example, absolutely. there is symbolic meanings. There is also uh, words that grew bigger than the initial literal use of the word. Yes. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Mount Zion, mm -hmm. uh, which is an actual mount in yes. near or contiguous to or in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And, um, and the Bible talks about that. But that word became so symbolic of the place that God dwells yes. that you get clear over in the New Testament. It says, we have come to yes. Mount Zion, yes. but to the new Jerusalem. So the word has become bigger than the original meaning. But what you're saying is, that's fine, but mm -hmm. it never, ever transgresses or violates the original meaning Correct. and the original authorial intent. So maybe the way... We have to talk about this initially, and this is this is the way I talk about this. I actually teach young people at our church this. There's an interpretive stack. There's a foundational level, a second, and then a third. That initial level is what we've already talked about. 
the grammatical historical method. What did the words mean to the initial people that heard it as intended by the author being God? That's the first level. A literal reading of Scripture is the first level. The second level, theologically, the terminology is called sensus plenier. It's a German word that means the fuller sense. A great example that probably everybody has preached out of, uh, there was a rock that followed Israel in the wilderness. That was a literal rock that gave forth literal water and preserved Israel on their journey through the wilderness. But when you get to the New Testament, Paul lets us speaks to us about the fuller sense of that rock. That rock was Christ. Uh, so there's a fuller sense. Well, then the third layer, so you have the literal reading, that's the first layer, the fuller sense, which is the second layer. Then you have the applicable sense. Uh, very careful that you don't, of the applicable sense of Scripture, that you don't call this, and we all do it. We get up and say, that this is what this means. Uh, meaning has to be found on those foundational levels. Uh, but the applicable sense, so Paul would say, the Old Testament would say there was a rock that followed them in the wilderness. Paul would say that rock is Christ. We would say, and today you can still get the water of life from that rock. So there's a, a literal sense, a fuller sense, and an applicable sense. This has to be, this is our first approach to interpreting Scripture, uh, is in my opinion what I would call an interpretive stack. Literal, fuller, applicable. Okay, very good. I like that. So, um, when we come to applicable, uh, there could be some little old lady having her morning prayer yes. somewhere in a little house, uh, and she's reading her Bible, and she reads a scripture which blesses her and which mm -hmm. the Spirit imprints upon her and helps her through that day or through the present situation or circumstance or whatever it is. And she says, God spoke to me out of the Word of God. We believe that that's valid. Yes. So an important thing that we're saying here is there is none of Scripture that is not applicable today. Correct. To people today. However, that does nothing to change the fact that the original authorial intent, the original writing, and the original people it was written to, is never violated. If you if you start taking that away and saying, well, that's no longer true, it now means this. Right. Then that crosses that hermeneutical rule. It cannot, the first reading of Scripture cannot be a symbolic reading of Scripture. The first reading of Scripture has to be that basic, it, can, it can't violate or even stretch out of shape what was intended by the author to the first audience. As it was expressed first, as it was heard first, uh, that's the initial. It, that can't even be stretched out of shape. In other words, the fuller sense can never violate nor disfigure that first level of interpretation. Very good. Uh, now, there's a reason uh, that we're taking time to do this before we get into actually uh, uh, biblical stuff is because this is being done. Yes. <laughs> and it's done on a regular basis Systematically. By, by theologians. And it's done where they will acknowledge that they're doing it. Yes. So this is, I mean, in my opinion, this is pretty heavy territory. I had a, I had a, a gentleman meet me one day and say, uh, 
this one I was pastoring. He said, Pastor, you, he said, I, 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 I found these scriptures in Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, and God spoke to me about what they mean. And he had taken all of this stuff and applied it to the city where, where we were living. Yes. With no, with no uh, acknowledgement or recognition that, mm -hmm. that, that the writer had nothing in mind about Sacramento <laughs> in terms of the rivers and the no, so correct. So, um, but I mean, it, he, he, he didn't do it out of uh, deceit. He did it out of, out of lack of knowledge of, of these things. But we also have people today that know everything that we just said and say, no, that's, it, it's okay to violate that. Well, if you violate that the literal is first, the literal is inviolate, yes. uh, that you cannot violate it, well, then you can basically make the Bible say anything you want it to. It becomes purely subjective. It becomes purely subjective. And then the question is, we put it, we put it so much in the hands of men at that point, the question is, well, what man do we listen to? Uh, and we come up with, yeah. We come up with creeds. We've come up with all kinds of yeah. things when and, it becomes subjective. And, and people have what really happens is, is you, you replace whoever that author was, like yes. Isaiah or Peter or whoever, uh, well, it would be Mark if it's Peter, because, well, Peter, unless you're in the epistles. But anyway, um, you end up listening to somebody besides the biblical writers. Correct. And so they actually supplant. The, the original author, as though God's author wasn't good enough or didn't know what he was talking about. And um, so there are times that prophecy goes beyond what uh, the literal was, like it could be a prophecy of judgment on a king, mm -hmm. and that prophecy also rises above the, that literal king. But that doesn't change the fact that that prophecy still occurred to that literal king in that time Literally. in history. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and the stuff that goes beyond him becomes obvious in Scripture mm -hmm. that he has become a symbol for the future. Well, uh, we, need to, we need to talk about that. Are you, are you, can we do one more of these? We can. Okay. We'll, we'll, do, one, we'll, we'll do one tomorrow. Awesome. All right. So... We're glad you're with us today. This is All Things Apostolic. Right now we're talking about biblical interpretation and uh, some of these things in the Bible that are being discussed pretty widely, so we decided to join the bandwagon. We're also discussing them. So thank you for being with us today on All Things Apostolic.